Hello, everyone, once again, and welcome to yet another installment of Nightmare Cinema. The slasher season continues with 1992's Candyman, starring Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, about a hook-handed fiend that terrorizes a poor housing project. With a budget of approximately $9 million, it made around $26 million. Um, obviously, I'd imagine it's made a lot more since then from... I don't know how they measure these things, um, uh, but it uh, it spawned two sequels, uh, Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh, and number three, uh, Day of the Dead, which are both set to be retconned, I believe, uh, by Jordan Peele's Candyman 2021, but more on that later. Does retconned perhaps. mean I've never heard that before? Ignore it's it. a word that Sean started using around the same time, the Halloween thing, and I've <laughs> used it every day ever since. I like that. No, it's good, yeah. Um it basically just means it ignores everything that the came before. Well, it, so it, it retcons number two and three, like Halloween uh, oh, retcons it, yeah. the other 10 Halloween films that there were um, after the first one. Um, it's actually based on a story uh, called The Forbidden by Clive Barker, which is a name familiar to listeners of this podcast and horror in general. Um of Hellraiser fame. Um, it's nice as well, uh, regardless of what you, th- you think of him and, and his previous works and his stories and whatnot, um, that horror's got international sort of famous horror, things like Hellraiser and Candyman, which are both staples of the horror world, um, are sort of rooted sort of so close to home. Because mm. um, sort of around here, Liverpool ways isn't um, sort of what, what you th- the, f- the first place you think of when, when you see all these uh, slasher films, high budget horrors, and, and such, but it certainly does have its roots there. Um, so I watched this film for the first time for this podcast um, because I've been putting it off for years because it looked boring, formulaic, tedious. Um, didn't particularly like the look of the villain. Um, I just thought it was another boring, was it even a slasher thing? I just never put it on, not even at Halloween, where I usually burn through, through uh, sort of. All, all manner of those sort of films um, and yeah I was pleasantly surprised um, oh, I wow. thought it was really 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 good um, <laughs> I mean I don't know if we'll get into it later I don't know if I'd call it a slasher whether it is or whether it isn't um, sort of having only seen twice really um, but I, I just love the way it's sort of polar opposite almost like a breath of fresh air to stuff we've done on slasher season so far um, like it's it's totally the opposite of what I was expecting and the sort of Nightmare on Elm Street um, certainly a lot different to uh, the one we watched last Halloween um, in the way that uh, it just works on a number of different levels it works uh, a, a slasher a, a horror a, a detective story and, and a lot of psychological thriller um, elements in there um, and it, it works on all of them it's not just like uh, slapdash we'll throw some of this in there we'll throw some of this in there we'll try and make it it's like it's it's sort of evolved naturally on its own as a story without trying too hard on any of those levels mm. um it, it didn't try to be too clever but it's ended up being clever and thus i've yeah. dubbed it the thinking man's horror film or the thinking Ooh. man slasher i like that i couldn't Certainly. agree more couldn't agree more um but obviously you guys have seen it before me i, I imagine you would have seen it before um doing this podcast mm, yeah um, definitely it's and again of, recently one of the films i grew up with Candyman, and mm. you know uh child's play chucky nightmare on elm street they were all 
working family favourites when we were kids. Mm. When family favourites? Yeah, we we like, come on, so, come on, Watkins. We're going to watch a film now. So back What's in, this one about dad? It's back about in the day, people in half with a hook. John, your your mum, your dad is your mum as well from Kirby, where I grew up. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point, actually. So okay. we used to have back in the day the video that used to come round, and he just used to rent videos out the back of his car. <laughs> or his little van so which I'm sure you've heard of that and this was probably one of those films that we got then but we loved horror films as a family even when we were really little we liked to like to watch them and be scared this was one of them Watkins video nasties oh I think the video man sounds like the candy man he <laughs> could have could have could have been <laughs> another installation in our slasher series the video oh, man. Maybe we're missing an opportunity, and this is we need to write a nineties based slasher called the Video Man. The thing is, though, there's there's a lot of that going around. Annoyingly, it's one actually I've been mean to bring up um, a few times, and never found the right moment for it. Um, and it probably merits maybe after we've done this uh, an episode by itself. Um, there seems to be a glut now of retro stylistically copied rebadged um, and I'm not talking about remakes and stuff I'm talking about just the sort of style over substance um, amalgamations of 80s 90s horror there's a lot of it about now um, it seems to kick off with Stranger Things and and why I don't mind that so much on its own I think it's it's quite decent um, there seems to be a lot of other uh, sort of copies of it now and it seems to be the, the in thing mm. um but it seems to be targeted at people that didn't sort of grow up during that era. Like yeah. even pe- sort of so people such as myself, because I did, I sort of grew up on the back end of the nineties thing. So I didn't really get the eighties, the early nineties, um, sort of horrors and sci-fis. Um, I just find it interesting that all of a sudden they found like a bit of a niche in the market and decided to put money into it and it sort of explode it out. And you see it across all the streaming platforms now. Yeah, because who wants to watch stories set in the world that we live in now? It's an absolute mm. mess. So let's go back to the 80s and 90s where we knew where things were going and how things would turn out. Do you think that's what it is? It's like yeah, a, a probably, co- yeah. comfort sort of thing. Mm, yeah, I think. Simple, sim- simpler times. Um, it, you've got so much, so much complexity in society today. That's a horror film in itself. What, where can you where can you wait through that sort of minefield? Is just by the time you get anywhere, you've you've lost your point of your film. Mm. You go back to simpler times, and you, and slashes are very very simple films, and you're not governed by any of this craziness that that goes on now. That's that's why they all work back then. That's mm. why you could have a bit of a silly film, but it was very very scary at the same time. Not yeah, that I'm it, saying Candyman was a silly film, but there are a lot of silly slashes out there that are still incredibly famous. Well, the the thing is with Candyman, and you, you said there, it, uh, by nature slashes are quite simplistic, and you know it's there's there's not really more than one or two sort of elements, and there's stylized by you know a bit of nudity, or sometimes a lot, and you know a bit of gore, sometimes a lot. Um, which is where sort of Candyman seems to detract a little bit from it. I know that there were two versions, I think, released, um, and one had some a lot more gore than the other version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the original version, um, or maybe the, the, the version that was like a cut for TV, actually, 
Um, probably more to do with watershed things, but it, it had a lot sort of less go. Because I don't know about you, but I felt sometimes that, Sean, you, I know you mentioned in discussion before, the gore seemed a little bit out of place in a mm. film like this. It was really, it was really low budget horror. The way they chose to mm. to, to portray gore, it wasn't. I mean, I'm trying to think of the right way, but the word mature <laughs> keeps coming into my head. It didn't fit with the tone of the film for me. I do agree that the tone of it, it seemed like not to obviously put down sort of slasher films in general, um, but it seemed like this one was a bit too clever to sort of throw in that stuff. It seems like that stuff was thrown in maybe just to, I don't know, maybe appease some people or just maybe they felt like it needed to be in there. Mm. I am... Um... I, I I get are you talking about the kind of blood splatter arterial spray that, that's got arterial spray go that sort Cause of thing because I, I, I think the kind of after effects of it now when they walk into a room and they see bodies lying everywhere I think that was perfect yeah I don't I I, it's, I struggle to find a film that does it better than that and for me what would have made this I mean it's brilliant anyway but what would have made this better and this is where I kind of agree with you that someone someone must have said you've got to have this and you've got to have this because it doesn't fit at all. If they'd have just left that out and left noises and someone going up to investigate and then they come up and see that, then you've got what fuck happened there. And that's much more of a film. And that's much more in keeping with what goes on because you never know. The whole point of it is you never know if it's real or if it's in red, if it's air or what. So if you don't see anything at all, you don't see any hook or you only see it from Helen's perspective then that would have worked more. But I get what you're saying completely. But I thought the after effects, like the end when he goes into the into the bathroom and he's just there covered in blood and the whole room is covered in blood. I just, you just, I just go, yeah, that, that's spot on to me. That's a... See, part of me is wondering Rust, uh, whether they thought, whether they were like, oh, this is Clive Barker. We need to, you know, mm. show a little bit more gore. Because if you look at Hellraiser, like yeah, oh, it's all about gore, isn't it? And um, I wonder if that's what the, the that decision was based on. But I, I mean, you could have watched that back and thought, no, nah, this doesn't fit. Yeah, it was um certainly uh, a, a, an obviously an active choice they made. Maybe at the time they didn't realize they'd made a film as good as mm. they had. Maybe. It was they maybe they didn't watch it back, sort of with um, you know, because you can get sort of sort of locked in, I suppose, when you're working on a project and you can't see the, yeah, the wood for the trees. You've been working on it so long and, and you know, you know every single in, in and out of it and you see it as something you're not seeing it through fresh eyes. And again, obviously speculating because I don't know um, if they did, yeah. but it might have been worth, <laughs> if, if someone else, a different filmmaker or someone had no, come in I and was just, just, just looked at it and just went, you don't need this, you don't need this, this is your film. And it may be more yeah. psych horror thriller than slasher or horror but but that's what you've got and it's better as yeah. that what they made it as and what the marketed it as is completely different to what it's thought of now it's only through time that people have grown to really really appreciate this as a very very serious film um and a very very well-made film but those kind of b-movie moments where she shits him with the with the meat cleaver and it just pisses blood everywhere you just it's so out of kilter for the for the rest of the turn of the film it's it's bizarre in a way but it's definitely someone said we need this in here we need this in here and the director's gone oh i don't know uh but because it was kind of never thought of in the same way it is now 
But I, I don't want it to be... If they'd have made the film that we have now with the expectation that we now have for the sequel, um, it would have been a mess. It would have been a complete mess because there's no way you can do what they did with intention. What 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 came of it was was folklore of the film, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it's well that and and part of the reason I sort of avoided it for so many years is because I just thought it's just another one of them. If we have not done this, like I picked it because I've never seen it. If so, if we've not done this podcast or whatever, I probably would have gone through life not having seen it. Mm. And because it's been maybe marketed as just a a sort of slasher film, yeah. but it's sort of you'd have seen Jordan side. Peele's version first, wouldn't you? Oh my god, that would have broken my heart. To be honest with you, Johnny, I don't think I'd be able to be your friend again. Um, I don't know if I would have because I'm not particularly fond of his other other films. But I mean, putting that to the side for a second, so I can imagine. I don't know because I've not seen them. But Candyman two and three, have you either of you seen them? Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. and are they two? Two is not bad. Two is quite good, actually. Three. I was going to say, is it? Is it? Is it? Is so? I take it is is three, just like a whole gore, slasher, well, that sort of thing. It's not. It's like he tries to recapture what two was. Um, hmm. the story just isn't there. It's not interesting at all like um it depends how you look at the first one like well by time i don't want to ruin it for you johnny um <laughs> but the second one it's about, all right ruin away the, the second one is about his family um mm, that's so it's quite interesting quite interesting mm. and then three is just what happened because the um I understand that the I think the producer or the director Bernard Rose gave sort of uh, Tony Todd a license to go and and sort of do some do his own writing, come up with his own story for Candyman. Obviously, he must have been thinking it was going to be a, a one one picture sort of deal, um, and he came up uh, with the idea or the the name um, of uh, well, the, the surname of the character was was Candyman, mm. which I mean it's not the finest piece of piece. Uh, he's an actor, not a writer. Um, you know, it's Granville, Granville Tea Candyman or something like that, and that that sort of and he and he had this whole backstory fleshed out. Um, obviously, along with the, the story that we get in the uh, in the plot, um, and that got we never that was for for the original Candyman, this one, and that sort of got it never really got mentioned in the film. I think it was just there as sort of to what to draw his character from, um, and then that got retconned there it is again in farewell to the flesh where i think they actually they wrote more of his his family history um well so sort of all his ideas went on the bonfire i don't think it get it gets retconned because they don't they mention his name in the first one and it's not granville t what's his face um so it's there from the beginning i think they just swerved his name and changed it oh yeah i think i think they just went i think they just went thank you tony but but we'll go in a different direction. <laughs> I think he came now, up with now that. now never write ever again. <laughs> but I think the backstory yeah. he came up with is what they've used. I don't think they've used his name though, because maybe so. Yeah, the, the thing that um, was sort of strange to me is um, I'm like sort of I've I've always thought and what maybe one of the reasons I didn't watch it um, was because when you when you look at like slasher films and horror icons, there's there's you know Freddy. Jason, um, Leatherface, uh, Mike, Michael Myers, those sorts of people, even even Pumpkinhead, 
um, because of the look, I'd probably think of instead of of, of Candyman. Um, I wanted to know what you two thought of like sort of. I know we do final girls, but in terms of like the actual, how much of of an icon um, Candyman is when put up there against the other guys? What you think? Because I never, I know I wasn't sort of born around even sort of the back end of those you know nineties when they were still making sort of Halloween films and stuff. Um, I know they're still making them now, but you know, sort of part of the original mm. parent lineage. Um, I, I was never sort of there when those films were being sort of made or talked about or whatever. But I still know knew those characters growing up, and that's what sort of drew me to watch those films. Where I didn't really feel like there was any of that with with Candyman for whatever reason. So I don't really ever think of him up there as one of those iconic horror yeah, icons. I do get what you're saying. I I'd love to say it's because the sequels weren't very good, but then. You've got all the sequels to Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, which are not very good films. It's not that. And I wonder if Candyman himself as a character was not very accessible um, to Mm. a lot of people. I'd love to look at the demographics of people back then who watched horror films in terms of age and race and gender, um, just to see whether that did have a bit of an influence in what happened. Uh, with Candyman, but I also think he's where the others, well, Jason and Michael don't really, they just kill in like cool and imaginative ways. And Freddy Krueger's mm. got a wise mouth, whereas Candyman's quite poetic and tragic. Um, his backstory, like he's not really done anything to anyone. Um, mm. he's, he's not a psycho either, he's he was tortured and wants a bit of revenge on my fucking not. But as he's going about it, he's really poetic and, yeah, I'm going to say it again, tragic. And I think maybe people didn't relate to that as much. Yeah, because he's not like... Someone who wears a hockey mask. Because there's some... There's, yeah, so with, with the likes of Freddie and Jason, that like you can solve what you see is what you get. Mm. Whereas Candyman is... is You've got you've got to really... Th- I think it's like you say, it's... A, the thinking, thinking man's uh, horror film, slasher film, you've got to really sort of buy into it and, and sort of spend a bit of time on it. And then people, you know, that that's not really yeah. marketable to people who don't aren't into the genre. He's much more layered, much more layered than all of the others as well. Well, mm. most of the others. Um, he's, he's definitely, he's like, for me, he's like a Hannibal Lecter with yes. that, that splits people in two. Is the only way I can describe him. He's less less comic book, more kind of fairy tale, but with a very dark twist. Mm-hmm. I, I think I brilliant, brilliant, love it. It's like I, as well. What what may tie into it, or maybe it's just me, or maybe I'm being stupid. Um, he's called Candyman. So if if someone said the name of this guy or this this villain is Candyman, and you were asked to imagine or draw a picture of him, you wouldn't draw a man with a big fur coat and a hook for a hand. Yeah, but then Do you know what got, you've got Jason mm. Voorhees, haven't you? So if someone said to you draw Jason Voorhees, you wouldn't. Yeah, draw I know, a hockey. I know what you mean. A machete. That's true. But, but that's but Jason Voorhees know, isn't his nickname, is it? That's his, or his moniker. That's his name. Name. No, but it's still what we yeah, know so, him as as the audience, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Can, no, and you and you and you're right, but yeah, I, John. Yeah, I like the way that Candyman takes a bit of explaining because I imagine a man in a van with sweets 
That's what I imagine. Yes. But this, because it's so layered, like I said, and you get there and you just you end up just going, fucking hell, when you get there. And what happens to him is bloody horrible as well. Mm. It's horrific. I imagine the um the child catcher from Chitty Bang Bang, or that's oh. what I would imagine. Or the guy in the sweet shop from um, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the one from the seventies. This was a bit something a bit, a little bit sinister. Oh, about him, I yeah, felt. yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. It's the single one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as well, like with with the this was made in in ninety two, and as far as I'm aware, obviously that there was no sort of you know backstory. I know there was the the short story, but it was as we'll come on to in a bit. It was a little bit different. Um, from that, it was more. It was. Uh, it was more about a, a, a class prejudice rather than like um, a racial one. Um, in Clyde Barker's original story, um, hmm. with with sort of the, the same point scum. I find it interesting that you picked up on that because that's I, that is not my experience of reading that. But I did read it a long time ago, and I wouldn't say. Hmm. It is about class or race or anything like that. I think it is just it is what it is. This this man is an urban myth, and Helen goes to look into this urban myth and she finds things that she does not want to find. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that it is for me. I, I mean, I might that's probably just I, the way that I don't know. To be, I haven't, um, I haven't read the, I haven't read the actual novella or the. The Clive Bark, so I can't really comment. Just, just what I've come across on research was mm. that was it was set in set in Liverpool, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I, I heard it was anyway. Someone I read reviews on it and said it was about. Um, obviously, in the plot of Candyman's uh, backstory, um, is that he falls in love um, with this uh, young lady who's the daughter of um, the daughter of uh, like a rich landowner or or something. In the film, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the in the film, and then obviously. Um, he's sort of hounded out, um, and in in the uh, the Clive uh, Barker novella or, no, or novel, um, it's uh, it's 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 someone from a, a poorer background, um, falls in love, um, there's, there's no, with someone from a sort of there's no mention of his background. Is there not? Not that I can remember. Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 genuine mythology in the book, isn't it? It's genuine folklore, just. The, the, the stories people tell and stuff like that. To be quite honest, getting the, the backstory that they did for the film, um, I thought it was genius, a work of genius to, to go from f- f- like a tale of class in Liverpool to this. Absolutely astonishing. Clive Barker probably just went, bloody hell. <laughs> well, that's that's why I thought where they um they they moved it to um to when they when they moved the film to, to Chicago. Um, or the centre of Chicago, I thought it was because um, a sort of uh, a racial prejudice or bias was was more in sort of keeping think, with Amer- American yeah. culture than mm. a class because they've never. I know they yeah, there's a class divide there, but it's like yeah. over here, it's a lot more of a thing. It's been historically a, a massive thing as sort of more racial yeah. is, things have been is, over there. Yeah, ours is most definitely a class thing. Theirs is most definitely a race thing over I, there. I do think but, the idea of class and race is. Is is a good thing to talk about, not only because Candyman is a black man and he was the son of a, a slave, but also because the idea of class and race is present really, really early on in the film. Um, mm. Helen being this PhD student and she's getting her information from black female cleaners 
uh, at the very start mm. of the film. So if you look at like the job that they're doing and the sort of language they use versus the way that Helen does, I think that idea is is clear from the very very start what the film is and about. The way that the way that they use it is so subtle, and um, but but profound at the mm. same time because you don't notice until after the film and you go, oh yeah, that's what this should be. It should you shouldn't have it. Films like this, you can't punch them in the face. You use that with the violence and the gore. That's his story. He wants to do that. It's his, it's his violence and his gore. That's his strong statement in the film. That the subtle nuances around it are what makes the film. It, like you said the word before, mature. That's what this film is. It's a mature horror film that in turn has matured over the years. That that sums it up in ways. I was going to say I can't describe, even though I just have described it. With a lot of the, um, obviously, the, the the culture of what's been going on for the past couple of years, um, Black Lives Matter movements and, and, and stuff like that, it, obviously the film is, it's re- it's always relevant because it's a brilliant film, uh, but watching it now, it feels like a bit more, um, a bit even, even more relevant. Um, and there's something that I don't necessarily agree or disagree with, but I'd be really interested to hear what, what you guys thought of it. Um, Obviously, we know it's different, different from the, the short uh, story. Um, he's the candy man's the son of a slave. Um, and then we have um, a, you know, a white Caucasian woman, educated, um, very lovely looking, um, you know, very Hollywood, um, sort of going into this, um, into this housing project. Um, and sort of, it, it feels almost as if, because I know, well, apparently the, um, I think the director, Bernard Rose, his, his wife, was meant to play the lead and she fell pregnant or well, the original lead was an African-American lady. Um, I, I just, just going from what I've read, um, but I just, just wondered like that there's something gets banded around quite a lot. I can see in John's eyes, he's got something to say. See, I, I... Let me just finish this point. I thought you were going to yeah. correct me and say, no, you're talking no, about No, 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 no. I've got it wrong. But do, um, do, I didn't know that. Do let us come back to that because that doesn't actually make sense to the story. Well, that's what they, I was they, going to say. That's I, what I was... I, I, just going on from like, watched it a couple of weeks ago. The, the idea, we watched it the other day. The idea is if that this Candyman guy is real, that he is in love with Helen because she is, is yeah, basically a reincarnation of the woman that he fell in love with. Or looks a lot like her. So it wouldn't make sense yeah. if she was then an African-American person. I'm not too sure. I, I, I literally read it um, and thought it was interesting only because, yeah, like you said, because I remember um, you said in a discussion we had, um, it was something that you hadn't picked up on before was the fact that in the end, he sort of, when he's with the the child in the, the sort of the bonfire and with Helen, it's sort of like he's trying to take back everything that he lost mm. um, in his in his life, and it, he's reunited. They're all going to sort of burn together and then pass on together. Yeah. Um, I just just thought it was like something that I, I think would be leveled at the film today. Um, would be like this idea of like a sort of white savior, which is a a term that gets banded about quite a lot um, in in different arenas, especially when it comes to the idea of like uh, charity work and stuff. What I do you, do you think that like people would I think people would probably maybe have a, a problem with that today if, if there was a oh yeah a, a no white doubt. lead actress going into there and going going into yeah. the, the ghetto and absolutely no doubt 
if 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 this if this film is made today, it it'd be it would be stoned out of the world. Everything that that was that is subtle and brilliantly done with this film. That's what the new one is going to put front and center, and that's why I don't want to watch it because the subtlety of which it's done makes it work so much that it lifts Candyman to his own platform. All of all, I mean. Don't get me wrong, anti-racist themes are dead important, and this has got them all the way through it, but it doesn't put them front and centre, and that's the way it should be. You've got, you've got, in a way, you've got Candyman, who is the, can I say black saviour? Yeah, he's kind of an avenging angel coming down. If you twist it a little bit and look with squinted eyes, but it's it, that that's what it is and all of the the kind of the, the stuff i've just been talking about the subtle class things and the and the race things and the the mixture of myth and reality all that's going to be lost and i just because it's jordan peele and he is he is a crusader and he's a very uh, is he he's a very successful man when it comes to this stuff but it, it, that's why i worry because everything that i want subtle and smart and clever it's going to be thrown at you. Do you think that the in the in the new film obviously remains to be seen? But now like, I'm depressed. It's going to be less of a less of a, a, a sort of horror film, and more of a film with a with a message and like a yeah. social message rather than oh God. Just Jordan being it is what it is. Film without that. No, he doesn't. No. He doesn't. Yeah. We'll, we'll, don't get me wrong. We'll see in a if, couple of months. If that's what you 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 like from a film, then go and. Go and enjoy the series done. Get out was was all right. That was was a mess, just a mess. Which doesn't, which considering he's going into this next, makes me a bit worried because this is a seminal cult classic. This people love this film and they love Tony Todd and they love um, Virginia Madsen. Um, it's it's beloved. It, it and it's it's with the with the arrival of the new one i think more people are going to this to defend it they're going do not take our candy man from mm. us i think we've got our story thanks jordan peele and i think you should keep your grubby hands off it to be honest with you well i was trying to be a lot more diplomatic than that i think i think like what what will get missed maybe these days are people go about with modernized watch it is well like racial undertones of the, the film um and obviously still so you know uh, and they're a sort of America's own sort of class system that becomes of that. Um, but the, the film is, it's not really about that. It's about a person's story. It's about Helen. And she's not really, she's not really, you know, she's not going, I'm going to save this, this black community, um, you know, from this evil. It's just a story about her mm-hmm. and, and how it, it impacts her mind. She's not saving anyone really apart from, apart from herself and what she gets tangled up in. Um, mm. But you know, I still I still think a lot of people would these days go back and, and make yeah. a lot of if, if different you, interpretations of it. Yeah, if you simplify it and you make it about any one thing, you take you take ninety percent of the film away because you could have a hundred people watch it and a hundred people could come away with a hundred different interpretations of it, and that is that is the measure of, of film genius mm. to me. It's that those are the films that will live forever. That will genuinely live forever. This was made how long ago now? Twenty nine years ago now. Where are we? Twenty. 20- oh God, yeah. 
29 years ago now. I was thinking Noah still Colby talking that old, about it. I was born in 93 and went, oh my God. Yeah, and we're still talking about it now. Um, okay, so, I mean, we, we've looked around some of the some of the themes, um, which are many uh, within this uh, wonderful, wonderful film. Um, but what I like about the talk about the actual plot itself, um, I know, Sean, working into it, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned before that about one of your favourite scenes, and we'll we'll, um, we'll get into it. What I really liked about it, and it was almost to sort of beckon it in uh, to gasps, maybe would be it, it's almost not Hitchcockian is what I want to say. Just, just in the the, the storytelling, and it, it does um, invoke that for me at least because it's sort of it's 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 chilling, um, it feels classic, it's well told, and when she's going from like point A to point B, she she has to clean as she goes to the project. That in itself is is you you get put into her shoes, and and you feel sort of worried for her. And then, especially when she goes through the, um, she's explaining to her, her friend about the um, the medicine cabinets and, and how those condos, well, they that, that housing project, um, her sorry, her condo that she lives in was is the same design as the housing project, um, and so you know you can get through the the medicine cabinet. So that part um, and is then, based on an actual series. Of yeah, I remember you saying, which is terrifying. I think because they got in through the fucking medicine cabinet. That yeah, and that so when when she goes in, and obviously the all the artwork that she sees is uh, extremely striking. And going back to the gore and stuff, and when we say we don't need it, we don't need it. And this film doesn't really have jump scares. No, it, yeah, which is it's got a couple, but you know what I mean. When um, I think what's the one that start is that when Sam Raimi's brother is in it at the the very very start of the film. I think, and they're talking about they're, they're doing the Candyman, oh, Candyman, Candyman. No thing. No, no. But obviously, there's a couple. Um, but a film where you say something to a mirror, and then a demon, for want of a better word, with a hook for a hand appears, gave them the opportunity to do a multitude. You know what I mean? Of jump scares. Mm. And they they sort of well, I mean unlike the going parts they they went away from it they chose not to follow that they had it as just another string to their bow yeah. which I think um, was was brave of them because they could have just 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 gone for that just gone for the cheap stuff um, instead of sort of going in and telling this story so much and they left they took away what they could have done left a lot of room for storytelling uh, which I think was both brave and uh, it still stand up today and uh, well done to them because. My own personal thumbs up. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, and 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 just the they don't need it because the the sort of terror, the unease, not so much terror, the unease, the slow burn of when she's in that housing project. It's a bit like I don't know if you've um I know John, me and you have that time we went parenthesis uh Bex in, in that uh, that asylum in Denby. And then it wasn't just the worry of it looks like a big haunted house, it's scary, it's midnight, it's pitch black, it's like there could be crackheads living here. You know, yeah. there, there could be like people that, also, that, that genuinely could hurt us. And then apart from the, the fear of the paranormal. So there's, there's that going on. And John, you mentioned before about the, um, there's a, there's, there's, I know, you know, it's Candyman. We know from that he is real because just look at the poster and stuff. It's a horror film. So, you know, he exists. 
but there, there is still, despite that, it has a lot of ambiguity that, that you know, Freddie, Jason, the other guys, they, their films don't have. So there's a large sense of unease, which I think is a lot more rewarding and a lot more masochistic. I know um, to, to drop a name, Mark Commode used to say that a lot of people said to him that he'd go and see horror films and experience horror films was sadistic. And he'd say, no, it's not. It's masochistic because you're doing it to yourself. And there's a lot, a lot more masochism to watching a film like this than there is to show yeah. the eyebrow um, than yeah. there is to seeing a, a, a sort of a run-of-the-mill slasher. Um, no, so, I agree. He can eyebrow off. I agree with that. Oh, my eyebrow I, I, is like, I'm in. Yeah, it's just, the, yeah. Oh. That's, he's, anyone, you won't be able to tell, obviously, but Sean is not currently wearing a shirt. I know his nipples are really scaring me. I keep thinking they're going to peek over the top of the screen and it's really putting me off. All right. I can't see look down. I, what do you mean looking down for? Do you forget where they were? Uh, I think he's going to... fucking dress like Wednesday Adams, like you, mate. He's going to stand up in a minute. There'll be tassels on them. <laughs> or, or clamps don't stand up Sean come on you should have worn clamps for the Hellraiser one I suppose it is Clive Barker no not Hellraiser sorry what other films other films you will wear clamp, I, nipple clamps for I am wearing a hook somewhere oh why, why? it's keeping him seated <laughs> I'm really interested now what colour your nipples actually are do you mean what colour they are? Like whether they're pink or like the pink or brown. I don't know if it's the shading on my camera, but the whole right hand side of your body is kind of pink, and the no left hand side is pink, and the right hand side is much paler. Are you a trucker? I think it's the light in here. Oh, sounds to ruin that for you. But we digress anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um. So that thinking about my nipples, Johnny. Yeah, there's um, a penny, penny <laughs> in the jar. Flusterment then. So, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but that's that's sort of what works for me in the film. The, the sort of detective element it keeps me drawn in, and as she delves further and further into the story, it's a bit like she's taking us on a journey. Because the more that she finds out and gets trapped in it, the more that we find out and get invested in it. Mm. Um, which makes me a lot more interested in the backstory for for this guy and, and this whole wider community and what he's affected. Um, my favourite bit in it, not so much um, for the line, um, he look for the candy man, bitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was so, I, was, I was wondering whether or not to do it or whether we'll get complaints, but it's fine. It's just it well. a tough guy voice. Yeah. Um, it is just uh, another thing where it shows you of what uh, that ambiguity again where it's like a legend and she, she comes face to face with people using that legend to, to scare the community, to sort of have that community into a, into a stranglehold of, of fear. Um, And it sort of bears a lot more relevance to, to real life. Cause you, you know, it's like, you can have eat cake and eat it. You can have a real life horror guy. Um, You can have a candy man. And then you can also have, I suppose what would happen in real life if something like that were true. It's, People take advantage of people perpetuate the myth um, in order to, you know, create their own gains, um, and it, it sort of ties into that whole um, that sort of gangland gangland territory that they're in. So that was that's sort of my favorite theme and my my favorite. Yeah, no, I agree. Part of it. I I really agree. It's the um, the kind of 
suppose you could call it explo- exploitation of, of the law of the place as well. It's um, It keeps you guessing all the way through. Is this guy real? Is he just these gangster guys? But the gangster guys have done so well. And that... The, I think they were real. Yeah, the beating, the beating that she gets in that in that bathroom scene, again, that that is like the 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 they move on her, they hit it a couple of times, and then it cuts, and then you just see them walking out, and that works so much better. I mean, I know it's horrific, it's a horrific. No matter what you do with it, it'll be a horrific scene. And then we go back in, and she's just every action when she walks in there, and she's covering her mouth, and she's nearly sick, and the next minute she's lying in the middle of the floor, face down. It just it just adds to it because there's no way unless she'd had an absolute savagery happening to her that she'd be lying face down like that. Mm. And that emphasizes everything to me. And the way they all walk out, so calm. And then it cuts immediately to her in the hospital bed and the, the makeup effects in it. You just you 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 turn away. And this this as as bad as the silly effects are. It, the splatter effects are the actual makeup effects are as good as any film you've ever seen. The, the like the after effects, I, I, and the, the, it, there's something that doesn't get credit. It's Hawk as well. His Hawk looks amazing. Like, it, usually you get like a hand that's like another foot bigger than the other one when you've got this stuff. But his, it, it, it I don't know what they did, but it, they did it well, whatever they did. Well, I heard that the Hawk was, was actually made by, um, the guy, uh, like a, an authentic blacksmith, um, and then on, on finding out that it was a sort of Clive Barker film, he didn't want to give it to them because he was a, a religious um, capacity. He was a, he was a devout, yeah, you call it that as well. He was a, he was a, a devout Christian, um, and and oh. again, if that's maybe that's another myth, that's maybe it's not true, and it's sort of something perpetuated. Or like, do you guys have favourite? Particular scenes. Could could I propose a talking point? Hmm. We could go. we talk about Tony Todd's performance, please? Because yes, it, it is masterful in the. Ex- Sorry, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Sean sneezed with delight then at Tony Todd's performance. Um, it is one of the great horror performances for me. Um, his look, his style. Is leering, ominous, terrifying presence, and that's before you get to his voice, which is the secret weapon of the entire film. Some of the most quotable, scary, creepy dialogue came from this man's mouth in this film. He owns this film, and this is another thing where this Jordan Peele thing is going to ruin it. They're going to take it away from him, and they're going to make it about a fucking movement. And that's not what this is. If you want to write a movement, like a, a, a protest film about race, go and write one. You've got a pen. Just don't let Tony Todd do it, because come on. Um, you go, and, go and do your own. Go and, You've done it. Jordan Peele's done it twice. Why has he got to do this? Why Why has he got to take this? It's already a, a, a statement film. It doesn't need elevating anymore. You're going to take so much away from an actor who struggled to get work, who has a legendary, legendary performance to his name that is revered all around the world for said performance. And you're going to... I hope you don't. Prove me wrong, Jordan, for God's sake. But you're going to taint that legacy. (laughs) Head in hands moments. 
Well, we you know, I mean, it will give everything a chance because you never know. Because I never gave this film a chance before, and then I watched it and thought, brilliant, it's brilliant. So you never know. I think you've got to give everything a got to give everything a chance. Mm. Sean's grimacing. I, you, you can only you, this this was adapted from a short story, so there was nothing to go before this. There's no. There's no folklore about this film. All of the lore belongs to this film. And you have to be very careful when you remake. This is why most remakes don't work. This is why most sequels don't work, because you take what people love and you take every all of the aspects of that film that people love. And this is the modern day remake uh, like kind of protocol. And they take all that and then they scrunch it up and they throw it away. And what you're left with, they bring that forward and put that front and center because that's their new angle. The bits that everyone hated in this film is their new angle, and that's what they do. And that's what never works. It didn't work with Terminator. It didn't work with um, The Evil Dead, which is all right to a certain extent, but not because you take away all of the lore from the first one. It's just, and it it gives me the fear. God, I hope he hopes to God he comes out and he proves me wrong, like, and he, he, he makes a film which is as, as much... Candyman film as it is a race, race, racial statement. I really do, but judging by his previous works, he's not. He knows what he's doing, and it'll work in a certain circle. But this film doesn't. It belongs to everyone now, and this is why it's so difficult to do. Well, I get off my soapbox. Oh. No, no, this is valid, valid points. There'll be a lot of people thinking the same, and obviously there'll be a lot of people thinking, thinking the opposite, and thinking you know it, it does need um a modern touch and it does need to be made more social issue and maybe that will give people access to the original Candyman film uh, we don't know yet we'll, we'll have to see uh, how it how it comes out and evolves um, he's a brilliant so did- filmmaker doing what he does he's there's no one better there really isn't I just don't think this needs it I think this is enough of a statement now. that's what I'm saying but I just want to say Tony Todd wherever you are sir I salute you you are a horror legend, and if you ever want to have a beer, give me a call. You're it was fine. almost Eddie Murphy. Ugh. Thank you, Eddie Murphy, for not taking that call. Oh, that's it's, just the that's that's that actually is the stuff of nightmares. That that is it's everything that isn't the film isn't is that is that right there? I think it's because they a couldn't afford him, and also looking back, um, I think Eddie Murphy's on the six foot. Tony Todd's about six three, six four. Can you imagine Eddie Murphy playing that? I don't I mean, imagine Eddie Murphy at all. I've said this before that Candyman is Tony Todd. When you become that role, like the exorcist, Damien Carris is Damien Carris. Jason Miller is, he is him. He is that character. No one else is going to do that now. That's it. Done. And Just that's before. how I feel. That's how I feel about Tony Todd in this. We've got onto um, the final girls in a bit, but I mean, how good is um, not only his performance from Virginia Madsen as Helen, but is is what that character goes through because um, she's like facing assault on uh, every side, you know, and she's she's brave and she's tough and she's not to be fucked with. In yeah. essence, as she's, I think she's a brilliant, brilliant like lead lead character and you know she because she's you know she's a graduate student so she's smart um and she's she's got a a drive about her and it's a it's a drive it's it's a positive drive she wants to do it um because she wants to get to the bottom of this because she believes in 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 people 
Um, and she's as as she goes along the way, uh, she meets the the girl with the baby in, in the projects, and you know she takes it upon herself. She wants to she wants to help them. She wants to to get to the bottom of it. Um, and you know she speaks to that uh, that that young kid as well. Um, who seems to be like sort of I'm not sure if he's an orphan kid or his, his mother or uh, his his father isn't around. Um, but you know she's a good positive character and she's doing these things that she does for good positive yeah. reasons. So mm-hmm. you get on her side, but I think a, a performance and a, a just yeah. a, that character itself is, is so strong. And that was almost Sandy Bullock, apparently, an unknown at the time. Sandy Bullock, who I think who I like anyway. But I yeah, think this, I, this is very much can, Virginia Madsen's role. Yeah, you can really? see. I mean, Sandra Bullock can act in anything. So, but it is Virginia Madsen's role. When I became like film aware, like in my early twenties. I often wondered why they chose her. And it, I mean, it works, don't get me wrong. And she's excellent. And she's got this vulnerability and this naivety that lets her carry this off, kind of not knowing what, what she, she, she definitely convinces you that she has no idea what's going on. And the, she, she works so well. And as it, as it kind of progresses, you can see how, traumatized she's getting with each and everything that happens to the point where she she goes into the uh, into her apartment where her husband's shack up with someone else and she's just like uh, at that moment when i watched the film i just shouted at the tv i fucking knew it what a fucking knob he is you was doing it can i just ask a question as well out of you and just i might have misread it or maybe um i don't know but was the the chemistry what do you think of the chemistry between between Helen and uh, Candyman, do you think that it was ever more than sort of punter and prey? Do you think there was a sort of a law from Candyman? Do you think there was almost a willingness on Helen's part, um, like, whether she was maybe in control of it or not, especially in the car park scene when she sees him? A bit like Dracula kind of thing. You mean? A little, little like bit, yeah. When, yeah. Um, I think maybe... I mean, like when you see those scenes when he's speaking to her and she's like completely zoned out and she's staring at him, she was, according to Virginia Madsen anyway, she was hypnotized at those points. She was giving cues and that's why her delivery is a little bit dreamy, oh. um, which I think is amazing. An amazing little uh, piece of trivia. Um, I do think that there is a bit of a pull there, um, some sort of attraction. Um, Definitely from his perspective, and I think probably definitely from hers too. I think there is something there, but then are we trained to look for that? Because in every film, there tends to be some sort of love interest, doesn't there? Because and and as well, like when um he's, he's saying saying those lines to her in the, in the car park, and it's sort of inside her head. Um, I'm not sure if that's when he says, "Be my victim." It's it's sort of it's scary and you know it's it's sort of it's very you know it's like he's prowling towards the but in her mind mm, um, but it's, it's also the, it's also a little bit seductive as well yeah i was just about to the say low this, husky sort of sort of voice i was just about to say the same but more around the use of his language it's all about being his and belonging to him and giving up and not giving up in terms of like stopping i mean giving into rather than giving up um, so he's a dom. He's a dom. That's what I'm saying. He's a dom looking for a sub. He, okay. Have you been that's on guys? That's a new take <laughs> not, on, the floor, not, on the on the film. I'm not the one with with a hooking or clamps. 
I'll have to get off. You said it. I'll have to get off it soon. It's starting to come. Um. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) My motto. Bleeds. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so... um... Talking about the, the mythology of, of Candyman, which you've talked about already a few times, um, and, and you know the, the story of the film is that he's an urban legend um, come to life. Now, Candyman, if, if you if you spoke to someone who didn't sort of know about the film, um, who wasn't sort of um, a horror buff or you know who, who didn't really know anything anything about the film or its law, you say Candyman, someone especially uh, maybe in America. Um, there's a couple of people that, that come up um, I've sort of known about before. Uh, one of them uh, called Dean Coral, Coral, Coral. I think it's Coral. Um, was a, uh, a a serial murderer, serial um, rapist um, in uh, Texas, I believe. Um, who actually he, he came out of the military and, and opened the, the Coral Candy um company and used it to like law young boys to his house and he had a couple of accomplices and they would do what they did um the other guy um which which i think is 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 what stems from the um the myth of uh you know getting razor blades and, and stuff like that in your in in the uh, kids suites at halloween which came over from america um was a guy i uh, watched the netflix documentary on on the beginnings of these these myths um a while ago um, and it was basically someone he uh, he poisoned um, pixie sticks, um, which he then gave to his own his own kids. He, he, I believe he killed his son, and I think his daughter survived. Um, and then they went trick or treating um, around the neighbourhood, and he did it. And then um, he, he got he got fried in the electric chair because you know he couldn't hold it. He, it was obvious that he was lying. Um, and he went round, and his kids went around all the other houses, and then his, his son died um, because of the. Um, I can't remember what it was in the pixie sticks. Um, nothing good, obviously. Um, something he bought from a hardware store. Um, and then it, the, the child died. And then that sort of myth perpetuated from there because he would say when the police came, oh, there's that weird guy who lives up on the hill. Um, and then it turns out the police investigated that the only, they'd only been to his house, his own house, and then a house one more house down the street or something. So he was banged to rights and he found him guilty. But we've had it. There's, there's that myth, you know, of poisoned children's candy and stuff like that, comes from uh, that guy who was um, then uh, sent to the uh, sent to the electric chair, Ronald O'Brien, I think his name was, who apparently protested his innocence at the end, but um, I think it was a nutcase. Um, so that that's what I would originally think. If you know, uh, that's that's why the, the name of this Candyman character has yeah, always confused me it slightly. You, it does make you think of all of the kind of little tales that you've heard there's a i used to have one by by where i used to live we had this little kind of alleyway called the spinny which cut through like two roads but it was jesus it was one of the most terrifying pieces of pathway in the history of existence and there was a tree up there and we always heard that this fella used to lure kids there with his two dogs and then hang them from the tree um to be quite honest i still don't know if it's true or not um because you do see it occasionally you do see a very very tall man walking two dogs past it and they say that's the ghost of him coming down and he never reaches the end and um it's it's always stuff like that and that i remember actually talking about that the first time i watched it with me mates um wow that's that's a blast in the past i've thought i'd forgotten about that's creepy because i was i was always too 
chicken, even though I know it's from a film to do the Candyman thing. So I remember it from a kid and not, not knowing that it came from a film. And obviously that sort of must be based on the, the, the whole Bloody Mary ritual. Um, I think you try it now, Johnny, because a cam- this camera's like a mirror, isn't it? Not really, sort of. You can see yourself, do it. No, I feel foolish. <laughs> Why don't you do it? I've done it so many times in the mirror. Can I just skip, yeah. can I just skip to the point? Don't even bother asking me because I'm not doing it in any way. John, come on. I've never even it's never even crossed my mind. We've been at when I was a kid and I was still doing the sleepover thing with my mates and stuff. They used to say, Oh, you're gonna do, do it. Absolutely not. What do I do? I look like a fucking dickhead. No, why would anyone well, do it anyway? Uh, um, Cheers, boys. Tits. Is there anything, Sean, from uh, when you were a kid that you remember? Well, anything we, like that? I remember some little bits, like my, my nan used to tell me the story. Oh my when... god, sorry, Sean, I'm so sorry. Uh, I've just found a picture of the alleyway I'm talking about. Wow. Oh my god, and it actually is fucking terrifying. I'm post gonna, it on our right. Instagram. I'm going to post it on the... Yeah, carry on. Sorry, I just Great got that excited then. Uh, okay, so my nan used to tell me the story of when she was a kid that, I mean, it was called the Glosher Man, and a Glosher is a type of shoe. And um, hmm. when people were walking around, the, like my nan grew up in St. Helens, um, if you were walking down the canal, um, the Glosher Man used to like, she just used to say, get ya, so I don't know what that meant. It could be bloody anything, could not But they knew it was him from the squeaking of his Glosher's. Ooh. I think it's really creepy. Other than that, we used to have, we used to have like we used to say purple Aki lived in Tower Hill Park, which is where I right probably did. So another, so like like Candyman is he said it was um it it was a myth come to life, but but in that that part of Chicago within the film, it was it was was a myth come to life. It was something that was uh, ambiguous for a while and then you find that he's real, but then obviously people perpetuating that myth for, for the, for, you know, for their own personal gain, um, like, the, like the guy in the, uh, in the public toilets. Um, but what do we all know that is very much the same around here, which, which used to get banded around primary school when I was a kid, purple lackey. Yeah. Yeah. Arabike Akin Wali. Yep. Um, and I saw him in Uppercrust at Lime Street Station. You did not. Um, I honest to God, and then I saw him, and then you could see literally people around looking at the boards, looking at each other and mouthing and then nudging the mate and going, you know what I mean? And it's like that was a myth when we were we were kids that he sort of chased someone to a railway track and they died. And I believe that actually happened. Did he um did he ask to touch your muscles, Johnny? Uh I sort of hid. Oh, all oh, right. So you didn't he, get he squats for him. Um, no, I, I mustn't have been been as muscle bound as I am now. Obviously. Um, also, it was really, really, <laughs> sc- really, really scary once. Why are you laughing? It was really, really scary once um, because I was walking down Rodney Street and I was with my mate, and then he turned around and just went. And I just saw his face and his eyes lit up, sort of half laughter, sort of half terrified, um, and he he went, "Don't." turn around so obviously i turned around and there was the man himself and honestly it was the middle of the day as well rounded a corner and just fucking walked slightly more briskly towards the pub how have you seen you know, purple Aki twice 
I am a lot more years older than you, and I've never seen him once. It's, I don't know. I think the next time I see him, it'll be in a car park, and he'll start going, be my victim. Oh. Also, and I'll just hear it in my head. Um, it's your muscles. So, yeah. Do some squats, lad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so that, that was sort of real reality of, of the urban legend. Because that, that's an actual, if you actual are true listening one. Listening to this podcast, please do not approach, attack, or <laughs> converse with any any of us. Mind you, none of us except for Johnny. No, do not write in. Write in. <laughs> oh God. Oh, Appear God. behind John. That's like not funny. Now. Why have you got to bring names? <laughs> John, John say purple Aki five times into the camera. No, fuck off. But it's got to be the mirror. At the I gym. don't want to be part of this. Yeah, it's gonna be the mirrors of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's move on. Uh, there's there's one as well. <laughs> Sorry, um, there's there's one um someone told me about called the Canal Man. But I think that's like an open murder investigation. Now I'm sure people have just been like dying in the Manchester? canals in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, there Manchester. There was a documentary about that a few years ago because all of the death, the actual deaths. All of them appeared, all of them happened off CCTV, mm. so they can see them. Yeah, and the CCTV can't pick up what actually happened, so there's like a big, yeah, it's like on that. Uh, there's there's a there's an, an underpass, um, oh, and then there's people that have been been found, you know, but people, people, you know, people that have been like fully clothed and stuff, and it, it, it might well be that people have just been like, you know. Not a victim blame, but drunk and fought, fell in. We don't, we don't know. We don't know enough about it. We can't say that. Um, but you know, it, it it might be. But I thought there was like an, an open sort of murder inquiry about it. Um, I'm not too sure if it if it's ongoing or if there's any evidence or anything. But yeah, the canal man. Yeah, they'll have probably gone to like an inquest. What those types of deaths won't be, and and like decided the mm-hmm. best probable outcome, maybe. Oh yeah, that documentary is available somewhere. I did watch it a few years ago. Is it? It's like like Cropsy, but I think we established before the Purple Aki is Cropsy. I don't want to talk about Purple Aki anymore because I feel like I've said his name. I don't now. <laughs> Between us, <laughs> yeah. I'm too scared. Yeah, so uh, obviously uh, avid listeners of ours will understand. Uh, that we do have a final girls leaderboard, uh, which we've done a couple of films so far. Sean, have you got it to? Um, have you got it I to have, have? I have. Do you want to read out the uh, the league table as it stands so far? Yep. So in first place is Laurie Strode from Halloween. In second place is Sydney Prescott from Scream. Third place, Gail Weathers also from Scream, and fourth, Dewey Riley also from Scream. Ooh. So. Now, I have a feeling, because we've discussed it, uh, you're going to have a spanner to throw in the works here. Because um, mm. I think, as mentioned before, that Helen um, is just an absolute sledgehammer of a character. She really um, is. A tank, if you will. She's just durable. And you know what I really like as well? Um, but the actress, I don't know, she's probably been paid loads for it, but it's like Virginia Madsen. I don't think she'd have bad an eyelid when they were like, we want to like sort of burn you alive and cover you in all these weird, horrible skin grafts. No, um, she just obviously she's a very, very pretty, very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And she's just got all that over and it just makes her look like 
just so cool, just like so badass. Um, even though she's, you know, compromised her, her lovely hair and all the rest of it. So, see, I would put a top, but I know you've got something to say about that. So she's she she's not a final girl, unfortunately. Unfortunately, to my mind, Helen is not a final girl. And the main reason for that is because she doesn't survive the film. Um, yes, she is in the film at the end. Spoiler. Um, but she's she's not alive. She doesn't survive the Candyman. So she's not mm. a final girl. Well, I've, I've, I've seen it said that if Candyman isn't alive, because obviously she, spoilers, it's only been out for 29 years, but um, if she, she sort of becomes the Candyman or the Candyman woman, Candy woman, Candy person, um, at the end and exacts revenge on a dingus of a fella, um, then someone said, well, if, if Candyman's not real, then how can he suffer and burn in a fire? So surely that means that Helen is real and thus takes rightful place at, at the top of the table. Nah, sorry. I, I'm trying I to swing it. Yeah, I think you just, I think you've winged it more than swinged it, but um, no. Mm. Ooh, nice. Um, John, do you want to, do you want to weigh in on this? Um, I have to agree with uh, Pancake Nipples, I'm afraid. <laughs> that um, could be either of us. <laughs> I have to agree with Sean. Sorry, she she dies, so she doesn't. She's she 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 falls at the final hurdle, albeit very heroically and and very very artistically and cinematically, and her legend will live forever. But unfortunately, she does die, so she can't be counted as a final girl. She would be up challenge challenge in our our Laurie for the uh, for the top spot though. Mm-hmm. Um, if she'd if she'd managed to save the baby and survive and kill the Candyman, then she would have she would have won. She would have she'd be she'd be there. We could call the uh, the uh, competition early, but unfortunately, she died. Well, um, I think it's only fit that she receives some other sort of special award. Yeah, so we we should we'll do honourable mention. Honourable mention, yeah. Honourable mention to appease uh, me. Thank you. Um, so I think this is going to be pretty cut and dry, but uh, I do believe it's time to time to come to a vote. Um, I shall start, I imagine, as we mean to go on. This uh, took me by surprise and very pleasantly so. Um, it was like finding a quality street tin in the uh, in the cupboard, and it was actually full of quality street and not sewing needles. Um, that's my way of saying it's nightmare cinema. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> I Very couldn't clever. tell. Very clever because it was about sweets. I got yeah. Oh yeah, that, that definitely meant that. Oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, devoted. Me? Uh, any anyone? Go. Um, night, nightmare cinema, without a shadow of a doubt. Virginia Madsen off the fantastic Tony Todd absolutely off the scale whole film fabulous two small like small issues as as you said the um the gore but mm. one that's the only issue I've got really Fan- fantastic and as I said a mature masterpiece that's maturing every day mm-hmm. fabulous I would please, please Jordan Peele don't ruin it sorry just had to get that in well. Certified nightmare for me 
is what I would say if we were talking about Jordan Peele's absolute abortion. But we're not. You haven't seen it yet. I don't need to. We're talking about okay. this absolute masterpiece in every single way except the gore. Fantastic nightmare cinema. Love, love, love. And I wish the Candyman would seduce me. So the next film that we're going to do in our slasher season is actually the reason why our podcast is called Nightmare Cinema. And it is, is it? A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. The original with Robert Englund and Heather Langenkamp. Director it's Johnny Depp in that one. He is. Very young is. Johnny Depp. Is this going to be an hour and a half of you metaphorically masturbating to this film? Maybe. Wait, or even take away, take yeah. away the metaphorically. Are we going to have <laughs> yeah. a shirt done for that one? Maybe. It depends on the weather. Ooh. I might wear my pyjamas because it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Can we all the wear excitement in your face then was just, I didn't know what to say. Can we all wear our pyjamas for the next one? Where men, mate, we don't have pajamas. I know Johnny wears pajamas. I know he does. I don't. I don't have pajamas. What's a liar? You're a liar. Really? Stand liar. up right now. What are you wearing? Shorts. Pants on. He said before. The things we say <laughs> on this, my god. The, the outside, the blooper reel for this could be absolutely horrific. You know. Genuinely worried that someone that knows purple Aki will tell him to listen. No, no, no one, no one can do that. I think he gets far more abuse from much more important people than us. Thanks for listening, guys. uh, And we'll catch you next time for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I'm Johnny. That was Sean. And that was another John. Uh, Bye-bye. Why are we waving? Bye. 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 Again.